Thank you, musicians and platform workers. Appreciate your help. Pastor Joe Campbell is a uh, personal uh, blessing to my life, has been for many years, has found ways to be a blessing. But more than that, he is a blessing to our fellowship. And one of the ways is in conference, he always brings a clear word from heaven of challenge to us. Let's welcome Pastor Joe Campbell while he comes. Thank you, Pastor Greg Mitchell. It's wonderful uh, to be with you tonight and always a privilege uh, to preach uh, in the Prescott Conference or anywhere in the world uh, as far as that's concerned. Uh, John chapter 4, and uh, my son-in-law Josh kind of inspired this uh, text to me. Tony uh, Chase Evangelist has a couple of fingerprints on it. Uh, but the Bible is such a powerful book. Uh, it's an eternal book. The gospel, Jesus Christ came, demonstrated the gospel. That term is not used in the Old Testament. He spoke and preached the gospel because in it is the answer to every bondage, every sickness, every crisis, every conflict, every nation, every broken-hearted individual. It's the good news. Jesus gave us the gospel. Pentecost gave us the power. And the church tonight and our fellowship, because that's who we are, that's what I love. That's what I've given my life to. We are an instrument of the living God in the earth to bring revelation and redemption and change the world. I want to minister tonight from race to redemption. John chapter 4, very familiar verse of scripture. I want to begin in verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well, drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. The one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. He talks about worship. 
But in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came. They marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Come, could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Father, we come tonight by the blood of Jesus. God, we come by the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, thank you for the words we've heard today. God, I pray minister Give revelation and insight, God, to the heartbeat of these cities. God, give us words of spirit and life to speak in this hour of much conflict and crisis in which we live. God, I pray, move us, God, to these massive pools of humanity that are broken and being destroyed in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus made a powerful statement. I need to go through Samaria. I believe the old King James said, I must, I have to. I'm going to, play, to a place you won't go. I'm going somewhere that you always walk around. I'm going to a people that you avoid. They're not my kind of people. I'm going to a no-name woman at a well you've probably never heard of. I have an appointment with a people and a place. And when you go there, you'll be misunderstood. Your motives many times bring suspicion and are questioned. Why are you here? You got no business here. The woman didn't understand Jesus. The disciples did not understand him. The disciples said, why do you seek or why are you talking with her? Jesus, don't you know who she is? She's a Samaritan. She's not like us, we're Jews. When you go places to people that others avoid. Other people walk around. Many times your best friends won't understand you. Your family won't understand you. People many times who are close to you will oppose you. you may have heard me tell when Connie and I and JRL decided to go to Malaysia, a Muslim country our church was basically Chinese and Indians. My father did not understand this at all. This was 1987. He said, why in the world would you go to that nation? There were even pastors. And they didn't say it to me directly, but word came back to me, you're leaving Chandler? You'll never have that again. I wonder how many pastors, how many disciples uh, miss God right here because the cost seems too great and the risk is too high. It can be painful and discouraging. Even the very people many times you're trying to reach or give your life to, or give hope to, or bring the gospel to. Question, why are you here? Listen to this woman. Basically, don't you know you're a Jew? And the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. This is no dealings. You don't have any business here. We don't associate. We don't mix. You've heard people say, 
I'm, Pastor, I'm, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not dealing with this. And what they're saying is, I'm out of here. This is the thought. Every pastor, when we went to Malaysia, except one, said, you can't be here. We know the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, no doubt every pastor's preached on the Good Samaritan. Jesus told the story. And there's a lot in the story about ministry. He poured in the oil and the wine. Took this man on the Jericho Road, this road of thieves, this man who's broken, this man who's left for dead, he's been robbed. He took him, he embraced him, poured in the oil and the wine, put him on his own, his donkey, took him to an inn, paid for his keep, and we've preached no doubt the inn being the church and ministry. But what triggered that whole story was a question about relationships. This man is talking and the, the, the conversation is about eternal life. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And in Luke 10, 29, but this man wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story that had to do with the Jews and the Samaritans where there was a lot of conflict and tension and they had no dealings, this woman said. The word neighbor, who do you resident with? Who do you associate? My next door neighbor, neighborly, it has the thought of who do you befriend? In the story, it was the Samaritan who stopped and this inflamed them. The priest and the Levite walked by. He took the time. He inconvenienced himself. He didn't care what other people thought, how it appeared. This story was about loving people. Many times people who are nothing like you. I had an experience many, many years ago. I mentioned this in a couple of sermons. Uh, 1956, I was raised, most of you aware, in the country, outside of a little town. Uh, my father had been in World War II. Uh, he's trying to put together uh, a living and uh, went bankrupt, uh, we'd call it today. And I'm a country boy. I'm, went, we moved to East Chicago, Indiana. I went to a high school that was larger than Creel Springs. Slovaks, Polacks, Serbians, Hungarians, Czechoslovakians, everything. If I gave you the last names of kids I went to school with, it's almost like a foreign language. They migrated from Europe and it was like a melting plot. They were working in the steel mills. There was a lot of black people in the church or in the, in the school. And I can remember, I'd never heard the word hillbilly. And I learned about the word hillbilly. And I looked different. My manners were different. My haircut was different. My clothes were different. Uh, my accent was, and I was a target. Uh, and I can remember I hated it there. And uh, I wanted to go back to Southern Illinois. And, and I can remember talking to my mom, mostly my dad had gone through World War II, began to drink real heavy at that time. And, um, and I mean, school was hell. I would fight or run almost every day after school. But something very interesting happened. There was a young lady in my homeroom class. It's the first class of the day. Her name was Edith Bell. And Edith Bell was popular. Uh, she had a lot of friends. She had a lot of influence in school. And one day, I don't know, and she probably doesn't even remember me, she said, Joe, walk with me. Walk with me. And she walked down the hall with me. She began to have a few conversations with me. And my whole world began to change because of Edith Bell. That's Edith Bell. Put her up on the picture, on the screen. 
Dan Rubianus, Ben Bunny helped me dig out that picture. That's Edith Bell, young black girl. Maybe that's why I like black people so much, even today, amen. I get a lot, I, I don't know. I used to think it'd be wonderful to pastor a black church, uh, but I've never been able to do that. But I wonder, she said, walk with me. That took courage. Popular, see, very attractive young lady, had all kinds of friends, and she reached across a racial barrier and said, walk with me. Jesus said, I have to go to this place. The answer to race and racism is redemption. It's presenting the love of God. It's interesting when he deals with this woman, he spoke to her heart and touched a soul that was thirsty. He didn't enter into some long historical debate. He didn't, I mean, listen, politics isn't going to solve the problem. Money won't solve the problem. He didn't even debate when she's making this statement, um, you're Jewish, we're Samaritans, we have no dealings. Um, but he touched the soul, the thirst, the thirst. You keep bringing these empty pots to a well that never satisfies. How many, the masses of humanity, even watching this evening, you're trying to find something or someone that's going to satisfy that thirst of the soul. If I could just drink something that would last, something that would give me some hope and satisfaction, 1968, sitting on my mom and dad's back porch, Kankakee, Illinois. Connie and I were separated. Everything was my life. And I remember my mother come out. She's no doubt worried about me as I looked back and put her hand on my shoulder and said, son, are you okay? I said, mom, there has to be more to life than what I'm living. That was the soul thirsting, crying out. And there was... You can spend your whole life running to the same old well that always leaves you empty and thirsty. You can chase dreams that always seem to disappear. Everyone gets thirsty, that is common. Especially in those days, cities were built around rivers or lakes. There had to have access to water. Here is Jacob's well. Everyone, it doesn't matter how rich, how poor, gifted, talented, educated, what the color of your skin is, everyone needs water. Jesus sits down right there because he knows sooner or later you have to come here. You can't avoid it. You can't circumvent it. You can't ignore it. When I was a boy, we had a well. It's still there at Granny's. It was deep. Stones, they laid stones down in it. Very, very deep well. We had a bucket and a rope and uh, as a boy, many times, my dad would be plowing or he'd be working in the field. Uh, and if he raised his hand, and I was a pretty small kid, uh, maybe, you know, third grade, fourth grade, he'd wave his hand at me. And I knew what he wanted. I would drop that bucket in the well, and it had a rope, and there was kind of an arc to tip in the bucket uh, so it would fill up. I tried to teach Connie after we got married. She threw the bucket, the rope, and everything in the well. And that's another story. Um, but I can remember I would reach into that well and I would come out and I would feel it was an old fruit jar. 
my memory's correct, is probably a mason fruit jar. It didn't look like this. It was kind of an aqua color. There was no lid. Uh, it was old. It had some bubbles in it, uh, the glass. Uh, and I can remember I would fill that with water. I was barefooted, and I would run across the field to my dad. He had an old dungaree shirt that he wore. It was bleached out, no doubt, from sweat and work, and it would be totally saturated. The Cholos later made those shirts uh, famous. They would button the collar. Rick Martinez probably got one still stashed away somewhere. Uh, and, uh, but my dad had one and saturated his clothes. Would be, and I can remember him taking that, and he would turn it up, and the, I mean, he would drink it and I would watch him as a boy. Sometimes it would run off of his face and sometimes he would say, son, one more. And I would run back across the field. Life, the nature of life makes you thirsty. You cannot live in life without somewhere your soul and your, you begin to cry out to everyone here, everyone watching, there's a thirst. But my question, will you keep running to the well that never satisfies? Jesus said to this woman, give me a drink. You wonder what went through her mind. Uh, you want, I mean, she's had some experiences with men. And I'm not trying to put something in that's not, but I just wonder, was she suspicious? What are you after? Especially, you're Jewish. When you're reaching across race and cultures, there's always a trust issue. Why are you here? Listen, listen, big boy, you're not in Jerusalem. You got no business here. The issue of trust. Listen to her words. How is it you being a Jew are asking a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? I wonder if she, your kind wouldn't be caught dead with me. One of the great issues of relationship, pastoring and ministering, do people trust you? Do they trust that you have their best interest at heart? Can they trust your word? Can they trust your motives? Can they trust you to lead them? Can they trust your counsel? Can they trust you with finances, we, I think, heard, the, can they trust you with the secrets of their heart? Uh, I'm not going to use you. I'm not going to take advantage of you. I'm not going to betray the trust. What do you thirst for? What do you long for? As a pastor, as a young pastor, as an older pastor, as the years go by, just heard of a pastor retiring, and he made a statement. He said, I'm not like Pastor Mitchell and, and Joe Campbell. The guy, I mean, he's just a kid. I think he's 67 years old or something. <laughs> Jesus says there's two waters. One never satisfied. Who drinks this water will thirst again. Well, you keep coming and coming and coming. It's unceasing. It exhausts you. I wonder if he saw it in her eyes and in her posture, in her demeanor. Think of this. She's had five husbands. I mean, in, in my understanding, the culture, the woman couldn't divorce, the men divorced. But I wonder every time she got married... Oh, this is the one. He promised he'd never hurt me. He promised he'd never leave me. He promised he'd be good to me. 
I've been hurt before. You wonder if there's children. All the chemistry that's involved. Jesus said, I came to bind up the brokenhearted, set at liberty those that are bruised, open prison doors to those, preach the gospel to the poor. Listen, this generation is flooded And these inner cities and places I'm going to mention, they are saturated with broken, rejected, violated and abused people. I'll never forget it. A few years ago, there was a little girl came to our altar. She was tatted up. I mean, she looked like a a child almost. I mean, and I remember looking in that little girl's eyes. She looked, she's probably maybe 50. She looked like she was 50 years old. And she was a teenager. And she said, Pastor, is there any hope for me? Jesus has asked of me, I have living water. All you have to do is ask, and you'll never thirst again. It'll become in you a fountain springing up into everlasting life. That's, that's, 1971, I bowed my knee, no clue. Insane with sin, an angry, violent, crazy to the bone. My wife, Connie, I mean, it was a nightmare from hell. I had no clue. I just asked. I didn't know how to pray. I just asked. And I'm telling you, he gave me a river that had that fountain, all the forgiveness, the washing away, the cleansing, the deliverance, uh, the healing, and all, and it still flows today. It's still flowing. Every time I stand behind a pulpit, I can feel it begin to gush out and up out of my soul. Spirit of God. Why is it so hard to just ask? You know, you can be a pastor and a pastor's wife and you run dry. You run dry. You begin to just function you begin to just go through the motions, but, but your passion and your heart and that river, that water, that life, that, that fountain somewhere has been clogged. Conference is about it being loosed again and stirred again. And your heart begins to be alive again and a love for the ministry and vision begins to be clarified again. Ask of me. We can ask people for everything and anything and run back to the same people and the same old places that never helped in the past And why is it so hard when it comes to Jesus? Comes to Jesus. He gives her a word. She's talking about Jacob and all of this. But he gives her a word. I'm telling you, we have to give this generation a word from God. A rhema a word, a living word from God. Bible says in Hebrews 4, the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, in the discerning of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Can you hear his voice? Word of God gets down inside, it separates, it begins to lay aside flesh and all the excuses and all of our defenses and all of our carnality and 
all of the input that the world piles into us and on us and causes us to see who we really are. This is what conference is about very much. For years I came to conference still, God, God convict me. God help me. Show me. Speak to me. He says, go call your husband. Go call your husband. Listen, there's something, listen, when you step across racial and you walk in places where others avoid, I believe there's a supernatural dimension of God that'll help you. I remember being, I told Tory when he went to Barbados, I said, listen to me. I said, you'll have experiences and encounters with God that you've never had before. That was my experience in Malaysia. There was, I mean, there were times God would just visit me and put words in my mouth. Go call your husband. I wonder what she said. Oh, oh. Why'd you have to ask that question? You want to talk to my husband? What's he got to do with this? I don't have one. Her mind is no doubt spinning. I don't have one. I wonder how many times she's been to that well. He said five husbands and the man you're living with is not your own. I mean, she's wore a path to that well. Her footprints are buried around that well. He brought her the word, a word from God. Oh, listen, I, Pastor Mitchell, I remember saying years ago to me, if we'll just preach the word, we'll always have an audience. And his response to her, and I've heard before said, you know, he began to slap her around, now you've had five. I don't believe that's at all. I believe if I could paraphrase it, I believe he looked at her and her face and her countenance. I've, I've had five. I, I, know it. I know it. I know it. He said, dear, you've answered correctly. You don't have one. You've had five and the man you're living with is not your own. I believe he was saying, I know where you're coming from. I can only imagine the life you've lived. Listen, these inner cities are saturated with that. People come into my church, multiple relationships. I believe he looked at her. He could see the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. I mean... Remember, he's full of grace and truth. I believe he said, listen, I understand. I understand. You said correctly. Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to the Messiah, the Christ, the one who brings living water. Listen to her. I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Pastor, you want to fill your church? Have a word from God. Have a word filled with spirit and life. Have a word from your heart and a compassion for people that are crushed and assassinated by life. You can only imagine talking to this woman. It's interesting to me. In my mind, when this revelation, and, and we could talk about salvation and many things, when it became real, she ran to the city and she left her water pot. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. When you meet Jesus Christ in a real, powerful experience, when you give him your heart, when you open your life, when there's truth, 
Now you're able to leave and lay down that which you've been carrying. That, I wonder every time she saw that pot, remember she went at the middle of the day and I wonder every time she saw that pot, she, she just, oh my God, not again. Not again, I gotta pick it up again. And it's not like she's going in the morning with the, um, I wonder every time she sees it, she can hear the words whispered about her by other women. One of the most powerful things associated with salvation is what you've been carrying. The rejection, the anger, the addictions, the failures, the frustration, the torment, the burdens, the sin, the hate. And I could say even racism. Once you know Jesus, once you're saved and born again, you're able to lay it down and run away from it. Matthew 11, 28, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from me and you'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is like that which has exhausted you and bent you over and crushed you. She threw it aside. And what did she say? Come see a man. Isn't that interesting? Listen, I'm telling you, salvation is the cure for race. It is the cure. She, now it's not the Jewish man. It's not, well, what are you doing here? We're Samaritan. And she said, come see a man who told me all things ever. Could this be the Christ? Redemption erases racism, or it should. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Listen, one powerful born-again testimony can reach into a city. And many more believed because of his own word. Now we believe, we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And they urged him, come stay with us. Come stay with us. Is that you? Real redemption. There's no color. Come stay with us. Stay with us. Walk with me. Walk with me. Let's have dinner together. Let's share God together. Let's partner to win the world together. And that's what our fellowship has done. Jesus, I believe, gives a word right here to the disciples. Some scholars feel as she was coming to the well, the disciples going into the city would have walked right past her and probably never gave her a glance. And Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, listen, you're missing it, you're missing it. Do not say there are still four months. Then comes, behold, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe, they're white for harvest. Is that you, man of God? Have we walked right past Chicago, Memphis, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Atlanta, Miami, these massive pools of humanity. Can you hear the blood in the streets? Years ago, I can remember, 
we targeted different mega metropolitan areas in the world, and rightly so. I can remember in the early days, Philippines, you go to do a conference there in the Philippines is saturated with missionaries. Today, there's no missionaries there. Maybe Mel Bianco out of our church, but he was raised there. We sent him back, him and Alicia. But 500 churches. I remember East Africa, Nairobi going in the early days. Missionaries everywhere. We could talk about South Africa. We could talk about more recently China. Now there's only Bart's there from Holland. All the missionaries, to my understanding, are gone. But look what's left behind. These powerful conferences. What would happen if we gave that same focus and priority to Chicago, St. Louis? I mean, look at Dallas-Fort Worth, 20-something churches. Houston, Texas, 20-something. I mean, the Phoenix Valley. We've, but listen, there's these cities. What if every conference in the U.S., we begin to really pray and push and focus, even as we heard last night, Pastor Greg and showing up there in Minneapolis. What if we begin to press and preach? Listen, we need couples to go to these places that so many avoid. I mean, people that, that were raised there many times, as soon as they become any kind of wealth, any kind of success, any kind of, of position in life, they exit. Isaiah, of course, very familiar. Isaiah 6, I believe it is. God said, who will go for us? And, and you're thinking, God, why do you need anybody to go for you? But here is all my, he said, I need someone. God has to have Flesh and blood to carry his presence. God has to have couples that will go into these places and intercede, just like Jesus went, that will go in and carry and demonstrate and preach and be an example. And God says, I'll go with you. I'm challenging every leader. In the United States, especially, and you can apply that to your own. I'm challenging every leader, every conference leader to preach and challenge couples to these cities and places that are desperate. Jesus said, I have to go. I have to go. I must go. I close. God spoke to Cain and he says, listen, you're, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? He said, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. The news the last weekend, little girl, Atlanta, little child, another little girl going to her grandmother's gunned down in the streets. New York City had the most homicides in 28 years. Chicago, what was it, 70-something shootings and 17 or 18 deaths in hours. Let me ask you, and I'm condemning no one, but let me ask you, is it possible that we could have relationship with, with God? Just like God, he's talking to Cain. There's conversation. And yet, somewhere, we no longer hear or feel or see the blood crying out. Precious lives, people, in these massive, massive pools of humanity. 
And I dare say most of them no clue, no clue about God. Walk with me. As Jesus saying, walk with me, let's, come on, walk with me, let's go there. Walk with me. Walk with me. I ask you to bow your head. This evening you're watching. Maybe you're in some form or fashion. You can identify with this poor woman at the well. Running to places. And many times people that never quench your thirst. Maybe you're like I was many years ago. Mom, there has to be more to life. Maybe that's you. Nothing satisfies. Listen, Jesus does. You can pray a prayer. You can pray a simple prayer. You're watching. I want you to pray this prayer with me. You're lost. You're empty. You're broken. It's possible to be saved and still broken. It's possible because of your history and the habits of life, bondage, you keep running to the wrong place. I wonder how many watching you pray with me, you'd say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I'm tired, I'm exhausted. I'm lost, I'm not right, I'm not right, Lord, I'm not right. Only one way to be right with God, repentance, Lord, it's me, I'm sorry. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, died for me and rose from the grave. Lord, I'm asking you right now to forgive me. There are those that I pastor people, preach, and it's amazing sometimes people can come to church and they look so, they look so wonderful. And then you hear them, you talk to them, you counsel them, and all the agony, the bondage, the torment. I can't even imagine this poor woman that you listen, Jesus can give you living water that you'll never thirst again. You can throw that pot down you've been carrying, disgust you to see it and look at it. You can throw it down and walk away. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Father, I pray right now by the blood and the Holy Ghost, the power God of the word to deliver I pray, God, all of those watching that are broken and lonely and tied to empty vessels, set them free right now in the name of Jesus. Set them free in the name of Jesus. Set them free in the name of Jesus. All of the pastors watching, leaders watching, I want to give a challenge to you from my heart. Let's target these pools of humanity. Those here, I'm gonna ask you to stand with me across this auditorium. Those that are here, I wanna open these altars tonight. I pray God puts a city and a place in your heart. God show you a people. I was 46 years old, my family and I. We sent missionaries to these countries. Many of them were very qualified. They're people, I'd pastored four churches when I went to Malaysia. I believe God is speaking to pastors that you have experience, you've had success. God's dealing with you. Would you go to a place that others walk around would you go to a people that are nothing like you? Oh, Ramashanda Lalava Rebush, Alava Rebush, Shivalabo Rebush. Oh, Gadi Kebo Ramashandaya. God raise up an army. 
an army of workers and pastors and laborers for these huge cities lost and dying running after emptiness bound and broken oh ramasham dalalava reboshaya oh ramamasham dalalava reboshe ko reboshaya Can you still hear his voice? Can he still speak? I believe he does, and I believe we can. I'm going to ask you to stand and give God praise. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching tonight. Would you give God praise? Oh, Ramasham, Dalalabareboshik.